January 10th, Tuesday, we're recording this episode. We are brought to you by Tech GC, the greatest, the greatest, the greatest community of Tech GCs there is. Tech GC. Flat out. Tech GC. Yep. And produced by Chris Sands, who is related to Frank Sinatra. Related to Frank Sinatra. Chris Rap Pack. <laughs> All right. Awesome, man. Here we are. We're here. We're here. <laughs> I like our romantic <laughs> intro, dude. Like, it's pretty good, dude. It's pretty it good. It is Tuesday, January 10th at NPR Studios in Newton, Mass. We are brought dude, to you don't, by Don't GC. do that to NPR. Don't brought do that to, to NPR. <laughs> You're you're in like you're in like a prison cell back there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I feel like the angle of your room. I know the listeners can't see it, but your room looks like it's like caving in on you, dude. Like it looks like the room's getting smaller. You got the flannel on now. Like it's your whole vibe. This man quits his job and he becomes a a neat. <laughs> uh, I I would say uh, I'm I'm a Bedouin. Maybe that's the look. <laughs> The look, I'm... <laughs> uh, I got a new computer, Pedro. So I, I know that I know that everybody's Holy been shit. worried, been worried about my laptop. Uh, and it's I got a new computer. So did you get it on Facebook Marketplace? You know, like a five year old uh, MacBook? No, <laughs> I went I went I had the Apple Store experience. You went the whole deal, huh? Yeah. White gloves. All right, to bro. the store. Good for you, man. I went to the store. Yeah, I went to the store. I bought a new iPad, dude, and um, uh, I mean, I use my iPad pretty religiously, like it literally is right here. Um, but uh, I dropped it the day I bought it, man. And now it's got that ding on the side of it, and I was like, "Shit, man. that's the worst." It's like, and I when I hold it, I feel it, you know, and it's Ugh. the worst. And you, it's, it's not worst. like you can't exchange it. What am I gonna do? It's the worst. It, it works fine. It just yeah. looks like you know, it was an offender bender. I hate that. Man. I'm I'm toiling about, you know, do I sticker this this laptop or not, you know, cuz in the past well, my I've laptop had... is a sticker both of my laptops, my work and personal are sticker war zones. I mean, it just makes it's cool, man. It yeah. personalizes it. I love Apple product aesthetic, man, but man, it can be pretty sterile. <laughs> yeah. Pretty well, sterile. uh that said, we uh we got uh Mark Cockerell joining Wait, us. Wait, what do you mean that said? I just finished on sterile uh, and now we switched to Mark. <laughs> I did not mean it that way. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, but all jokes aside, I'm super pumped about the Mark episode, man. Every once in a while, Andy, we have like an episode that pumps me up and like like the rhythm is just right. There's like and that's what this episode was like. Like yeah. we were just going for it. A lot of liquor talk and beer talk, yeah. you know, which is none of us are alcoholics and uh, everyone should drink responsibly. But um, we we definitely had a good time t- chatting with him and covered a lot of He's things. He's a great guy a and an incredible He's lawyer. Smart. And yeah. uh, do you know how we met, how I met him? No, tell me, dude. Uh, I was at Alice in my first two or three months service now as a customer of Alice. And their, their, the renewal was, you know, uh, unclear unclear renewal uh big customer and is anybody can anybody do anything and there were legal issues you know like contract and legal issues and and, and privacy in particular and phil lee introduced me to mark and nice. i was i was finally able to get on a call with mark and i was like 
look, these the very quickly, these are the issues. They're big ones. They weren't, you know, it wasn't little nits, you know, it was significant issues. Is there a way forward? And he was like, they are big issues. Yes. And, and we, we solved the problem. I'm not kidding. We solved the problem in five minutes. And then we were like more learning about each other and becoming friends, frankly. And, yeah. and it just was so easy from there because he's just got such a, a practical, um, thoughtful, sense, thoughtful approach to, to what he's doing. He's super smart, but he's just like at the same time sort of grounded in common sense. And yeah. so the things that come out of his mouth just just track reality. And yeah. I think that like as 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 regular as that sounds, it's actually pretty rare for people to connect like really complicated ideas into just like common sense objectives. So, yeah, uh, I'm a big I'm a big Mark fan. I'm also a big Phil fan who just announced, I think, last week that he's hanging his own shingle. So we got to get him back on the show and talk about that. Um, but uh, I sent him, a, yeah, I, I sent him a text saying that exact thing. He, it's time to yeah, come back, get him on back on. And, um, Phil and get Lee, his business thriving. Yeah. If Phil you're listening Lee. to this podcast and you don't have privacy outside counsel, I'm going to tell you right now, there's very few people you can go with that are going to be at the level that Phil is. So he's a, you know, I'm sure he's going to be really successful. Certainly um, as people understand, I'm, as people under, who understand technology, and the intersection of the GDPR, there is nobody yeah. better. No, I don't think so. So yeah, he's and, and also like just again back to common sense, man. Like I've never heard Phil be like abstract, unnecessarily abstract. Like it's always like here's the action based on all this smarts that I have. Versus yeah, that's like, why he and Mark. All that's why he yeah. and Mark work together. <laughs> exactly. That's why. Makes sense. Anyway, all, all right, right, let's do it, man. Here it is. All right, here we are. We're here. Uh, what were you calling me on? before? The Count of Monte Cristo? Dude, you're the Count of Monte Cristo, the little uh, ass attic that you record all the episodes <laughs> in. I feel like there's like a ch ball and chain on your ankle and you're writing love letters to the future <laughs> and filling your heart with rage and hate. This is the, the, the dungeon of legal work. <laughs> okay. Yeah, like fake plants, windowless dungeon, you know, like this mm. is just struggling. Okay. Love it. Well, uh, here, here we are. We got Mark Cockrell from live from Ireland with us. How you doing, Mark? Shout out to hey, Ireland. Hey, Pedro. Good to see you guys. Thanks Good for to coming. see you, man. Why are you wearing that dumbass Patriots jersey, <laughs> man? Let's talk about that. I, I don't know. Re re respecting and reflecting the greatest franchise that American sports has oh, ever known, uh, the greatest dynasty ever known, Pedro. You know, I mean, I don't know it just comes natural. Are we really this gonna is, call? This is actually my Mac Jones jersey and not my Tom Brady jersey, which maybe is less dynastic shall we say I, I've, I've lost a lot of interest in football over the years so i'll admit i'm not like the most up-to-date however i mean watching the implosion of uh, tom brady's persona and image over the last year has been one of the great falls of sports <laughs> can, I, yeah, can, I, it, can i ask you guys a question about tom brady so like have you guys noticed he looks like he's had a lot of like facial surgery yeah like, is he, have you guys noticed that? Mark, did you notice he's, that? He's, he's just got a very strict diet, Andy. Yeah. He's a beautiful man. Let's, that let's it is. Leave, it's his let's veganism. Look, you know, what, you know what he looks like? He looks like he done messed up with his wife and now is like going through a, a life crisis. That's what he looks like to me. Um, I mean, how you, look, I'm no, 
I am no marriage expert by any means, but how you get that one so wrong? Dude, choose your well, family. Well, no, 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 family instead of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, bro. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, what is what is going on in somebody's mind? But anyway, it's fine. He, he's like also looking for his money back from investing in the FTs as well. Which, oh, uh, that's right. Yeah, I guess he was in uh, a big FTX investor or something like that too, right? So yeah, he's having a rough year, man, and it it sucks because like. He could have left on top, man. You know, he could have like, like actual mic drop. You know, and I, as much as I dislike Tom Brady, you can't argue he's not the best. Um, and now he's like this, like shitty best. You know, shitty guy best. Hey, hey, seven, seven Super Bowls he's got. You know, it's yeah, okay. Well, Kanye well, West is the greatest you know? recording artist of all time. He's still a dirtbag. I'm not gonna listen to well, his remember, music anymore. Like, remember you know. Montana? Montana played for Kansas City. You know, there's there's uh, these guys that they're the best. They're the best ever. And then Shaq went to the Celtics. Even though I'm a Celtics fan, <laughs> they for some reason there's a desire to be on a nut, one more team or try to do it again or something. And I mean, even Michael did it, just, you know, wizards, you know, I, I get yeah. it. It's just, it, it's, it's bizarre to me. It's bizarre to me. Like I'm wearing a Julio Cesar Chavez sweater, right? Like last night, for whatever reason, I went deep in like old boxing videos. Julio Cesar Chavez at one time was 89 and oh, bro. Like, like it's just like this outrageous. He 31 title fights. Like this doesn't make makes any sense what I just said out loud. You know, his like all time record though is like 108 and 16 or something like that because he fought too long. Like he went up against a young De La Hoya and a bunch of other like you know hard punching 20 something year olds when he was in his late 30s. And like if he wouldn't have done that, you can't really argue he's not the greatest boxer ever. But now you got people like Floyd. Who are 50 and 0 and have only fought like he's fought <laughs> Julio Cesar Chavez has fought in almost as many title fights as uh Floyd Medler has won total fights. And like they still like now are debated in the same way. It's interesting how that all plays out anyway. Whatever. Well, that's a lot of sports talk for the beginning of a privacy podcast. Hey, hey, it's all good. We can stay on sports if you like, guys. This, no, this is it, good. Man. Well, let's we let's get into um, Rocky Marciano. Talk about the HIPAA implications. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> let's talk about competition, though, because I think like the competitive nature of what we do. There's an aspect of competition in what we do. So, Mark, I'm curious, like just to give the audience the feedback <laughs> or the uh, the the information here about Mark is VP of Legal, Corporate Securities, M and A, and International Development and Service now. Prior to that, ran privacy and EMEA region for ServiceNow. So done a lot of deals in your life. And so I guess my question is, how does competition come up for you? Do you think about it and you think about the company's competitors? you think about it, you know, when you're doing a deal, how does it manifest? Yeah, I mean, well, I have the competition antitrust team under me yeah. at the moment. So yeah. Yeah, it comes up in a very practical and simple level like that. But I know I think about it uh, in a bit more broadly than that, like even at a professional level, we kind of all compete with each other, but it's a, you know, cooperation type of competition. I know there's a great an acronym almost combining the two of them. And I think as you go and grow through your career, you kind of learn that along the way. Like everyone isn't there to be beaten. It's not about being on top or winning necessarily. Sometimes it's about, doing things in partnership together, whether that's, you know, on an individual level and a team trying to solve a problem or indeed even in business, just generally, like not always is your enemy, your enemy in all scenarios. 
uh, and sometimes the old what was it the mold uh, was it the Godfather? My enemy's enemy is my friend. Um, I'm trying to remember the origin of that one, um, but you know, competition means different things in different places, and and sometimes, especially when you think about privacy and policy and legislative innovations and developments. There's a lot to be said that we have as businesses or industries the same challenges, the same problems, and just looking for something practical uh, in relation to it. And then we want to beat each other at the end of the day. <laughs> what does a beating each you. other mean? Yeah. Selling more? What, like, uh, you know, I always, I, and listen, I'm a capitalist. I'm not out here. Like, I just want to make that super clear. Yeah. But like, and I understand like market you know, invisible hand and all the stuff. I got it. So we don't, it's not a, it's not an economics lesson, but like, why, why do we riddle down things like, like privacy features to like, let me beat the other guy at more privacy. Like, how is that? Do consumers win in that type of an approach? Just kind of a question. Who wins there? Yeah. I mean, like, let's say, let's, I suppose company A to uh... B are, are in it, which is, let me give you a hypothetical. Company A and Company B are in a privacy arms race. Now, like incomplete thinking would say consumers are winning because each company is layering on more privacy protections for their users. But if you like peel that back a little bit, like are consumers really winning in that context? Is the best, most protective outcome always a byproduct of two companies hiding the ball from each other and trying to beat each other? Or is there a better way? Privacy wise. I can't think what you're alluding to, Pedro. There, uh, it's very no uh, idea. No <laughs> idea what. Um, but, but I think I think you kind of it's almost around the same theme there as competition and and privacy kind of coming together in one respect. I mean, to what extent does coming together or reaching a common core basis of privacy, a common core basis of people's rights and reflection? Um, either a stymie competition or is it anti-competitive if they are, co you know, cooperating to agree that standard basis? I mean, in many respects, we go back to the GDPR, good old GDPR, good old, you know, here's good a common GDPR. set of principles that we're trying to establish to try to say, here is the baseline, here's the base level, which should be good for consumers, good for citizens, good for the protection of rights. And therefore, if we set that baseline, everyone adheres to it. Then you've got a common ground. Then you're not in an arms race, as you say. And then you're setting a, a reasonable basis for the protection of everyone. Now, you, all three of us know, everyone listening knows, hey, it's not necessarily interpreted like that. Because once you talk about principles rather than hard lines, different people interpret in different ways. And as we've seen, different legislations or legislatures and regulators interpret in different ways. And you end up with different flavors of the same piece. But like, I mean, yeah, what is... Let's take capitalism out of it. What is the overall esoteric goal you're trying to achieve? Is it a baseline of protection across the board in the same way? Or is it, hey, we want you in an arms race to the nth degree? Because at some point, you then narrow competition because others can't keep up as well. And that's part of the problem. Well, so what do you think, like, Noy Max Schrem's goal is, or advocate's goal? Um, burn it all. Yeah. Down. burn <laughs> it all down. I mean, I don't know yes. words in relation to that anarchy. I, no, I, I don't, don't think like, so. I mean, <laughs> I mean, let's just sort of talk about that. I mean, is there ever a zero sum goal? Is there ever a zero risk scenario? We all work in house. You know the nature of business. The nature of being a good lawyer, in many respects, is risk management, risk balancing, um, risk allocation in, in respect of things. Anyone that expects any right, and we talk. 
like in Europe, we've had obviously the European Convention of Human Rights, national constitutions. Ireland has its own constitution. You're talking about the balancing of fundamental rights between all that. There is no right which is absolute. So how can you have a zero sum that privacy is the most important above all? I mean, I, I've been on record talking about this before. I think when COVID happened and you had certain uh, data protection regulators coming out and saying, there's nothing in GDPR, there's nothing that's going to bar um, sharing of information in order to find vaccines, sharing of information in order to treat people and technology designed to try to help people in this scenario won't be restricted. And then they followed, but you have to do a, B, C, D, E, F, G, and weren't willing to rely upon some of the public health derogations and some of the exceptional circumstance derogations that already existed under legislation. And I was like looking at this going, are you serious? Are we actually getting to a stage? And don't, don't get me wrong, I believe in privacy. I fundamentally believe in the privacy rights of individuals across the board. But are you weighing that up against livelihoods, against lives, in a in a pandemic well, situation. other interests and just other interests safety interests you know economic interests yeah. i couldn't agree with you more i've said it on this podcast a thousand times which is like privacy does not exist in a silo it exists in relationship to many other human interests that sometimes are at tension with it also privacy is contextual both culturally geographically age-wise like i mean situationally like circumstances so like the idea that you know, I, I, I've been resisting this on LinkedIn and, and like in my writing and then on the podcast, which is like the idea that like someone knows best and there's this uniform way to solve for all privacy on Earth is a fundamental misunderstanding of like people's relationship with secrets. Like that's just not how the human being works. Like that's just not how we operate. And so like, you know, one of my big fears as a practitioner is this idea that we come up with these formulaic privacy norms that protect the groups that are always protected by laws at the expense of the folks on the margins. Right. And like, so I can't remember the author's name who wrote privacy at the margins, but like uh, it's one of the best privacy books I've ever read because he, the, the author's pointing out exactly what you're talking about, which is there are people who with these blanket uh, Westernized approaches to thinking about privacy rights um, are being left out and they're the most vulnerable. And that is what really scares me. It's especially indelible, I think, for where you guys work, which not your companies and specifically, but like two of the largest companies in the world, right? Like globally massive. So like you must consider not the margins, yes, but also like the margins and the contours of how that plays out in every country. And so I think it's so important that every country, every town, every city yeah. is different in how they think about these things. Yeah, every family is different. And Privacy at the Margin is written by Scott Skinner Thompson. It's a great book. I strongly recommend. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Andy, I mean, you're right. I mean, we're both, you know, kind of involved in global companies. So in one respect, we have that challenge of multiple different interpretations in multiple different places and multiple different layers. But equally, we have more of the scale and the resources to be able to address that. And I think that's also where the the issue arises a little bit. There are there are haves and have nots. There are companies that have the resources and the capabilities to react to that and to have a meaningful solution to, to, to challenges that arise or ask to arise. And then there are businesses that are going to be left behind or can't compete. And looping back around to competition, Pedro, and the, the point we're making is like, does that not negatively affect competition in the long run? Um, and 
it's a good it's a good question fundamentally in relation to it. Is it good or bad? And of course, different governments even will take different views as to what they feel is a good policy in that regard and what they want to see as an outcome uh, to to the way in which other governments will interpret and view the matter. To that end, do you think that the GDPR has been good for the European tech capitalist culture? Because there's there's one major tech company, I guess, arguably Spotify. Well, Spotify and SAP are the two that we could think of that are headquartered, you know, in 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 Europe. And like, has the GDPR helped, hurt, or sust- flat sustained? Um- well, okay. I mean, we'll get back into the East Eric piece of what the European project as a whole and the European Union being a common market of 27 countries. Now the UK's left. It's not 28 anymore. Um, the common market works. There's no question. The buying power, the employment base has worked. It's done great things for countries like Ireland uh, along the, the years, but it's it's been generally of benefit to everyone. It's why it's continued to grow during the 90s, during the noughties, all the way through. Um, the question you suppose you're posing is when they're trying to make this far reaching legislation, let's be honest, that's Europe trying to exercise its muscles. That's the Brussels effect. They regulated uh, telephony uh, standards and things like that and roaming arrangements. And because I used to work in, in, in telcos, so I remember seeing this before and it originated in, in Europe and was obviously being copied elsewhere. That's how they're trying to exercise their power. Um, I think the bigger challenge to Europe is always the fact it is not the same as United States. We are not, 50 contiguous or 48 contiguous states and then Hawaii and Alaska, at least speak in the same language, at least having the same uh, legal system. Um, Yes, you've got state differentiations and obviously people in Texas think about things differently to California and elsewhere. But in Europe, we've got multiple languages, multiple different legal systems and scenarios. They are more of a challenge, I would say, to saying, hey, a European provider, it's always going to be a French provider or a German or a Swedish in the first instance, and then expand out into a big market. That's, you know, it's not as consistent as easy. And GDPR, I don't think, is a driver or a savior or a a detriment in that regard. It's just been a reality as to it's another challenge and it's another aspect. Uh, But I think a lot of it have generally been That's a really good point. Um, And Pedro, we've talked about this issue with multiple guests and no one's ever framed it that way before. Uh, that, that, yeah, that, I think that's challenge. right. Um, but I do hear a lot of themes that I recognize, right? Like, you know, Europe's really good at exporting re- legislation, right? Really good. Uh, and and like, shout out to being tremendous barristers. But the challenge there is that the world norms become European norms. And if you're a person born on a colony <laughs> or a person from outside of Europe, that makes you really nervous. Okay, and so like this is sort of my reaction, uh, like to like this proliferation of European rules operating as global expectations, which is we're not leaving room for other regions of the world to determine their own fate with respect to how they want their privacy norms to play out. Now, I do see jurisdictions like Brazil and India, even China, which I'm very critical of all the time, Israel. Um, the United States, even in our little debates about a national privacy law, but definitely the proliferation of state laws, sort of pushing back on that sort of historical reality of like Europe goes and then everybody follows. I do see um, 
legislation distinguishing itself from European approach. Like GDP, uh, LGPD is a good example of that, which yeah. loosely resembles GDPR, but then it has like Brazilian idiosyncrasies, right? Like uh, quite a few. And, and many of them, which I honestly think like reconcile problems in the GDPR, uh, but it doesn't get the same attention. And I think it's for the reasons that Mark explains and like Europe's like historic sort of like global impact when Europe moves, the world watches. Um, but we should be watching to the rest of the world and see what they come up with, because there's some really cool creative ideas out there. Today, my LinkedIn post is about creativity and like the same people making the rules over and over like is not the way to innovate. Is And so I, I'm, I'm really happy to see other parts of the world proliferating their own rules. Just my hope is that the shadow of like shadow makes it seem sinister, but like the, you know, the fact that Europe almost always comes first, you know, by definition is going to have some influence on all that. I'm not saying it's all bad, but I think a Eurocentric view of privacy for the whole world is an outcome I'm not super interested in. Um, I will agree and challenge you on one point, though, there, Pedro, because I agree the LGPD and the way in which they've kind of adopted and reconciled elements. I mean, I don't want to say GDPR variation thereof, but it is effectively. They've taken a lot of the core concepts and I think in many instances been in many ways more practical and come to some very clever solutions in relation to some of the, you know, resolving the circles. But and I don't want to be in the, an impassioned defense of Europe, but in many respects, <laughs> what they're saying with the GDPR is like, hey, this is our rule book. You know, if you want to do business in the European Union and this single market, this is the way it is, right? And yeah, unless you're in another that, country and your data tends to flow across the internet, uh, we'll get to data transfer. You can set the rules for your own club. In many respects, obviously, in the US, when we think of FCPA, you think of the um, uh, okay, Inflation okay. Reduction Act and, and elements like that. So uh, that's just America setting, hey, these are our rules we expect you to play by if you want to yeah. do business here. I don't think Europe should ever be criticized for wanting to put forward its viewpoint of the world. And don't get me wrong, I disagree with some of the ones that uh, originate at times and some of the legislation that's pending, um, because I think that's its prerogative. But the idea, absolutely, there can be competing viewpoints and there can be other approaches and potentially better approaches for different economies, different scenarios, different countries. I fully agree with. It then throws the challenge back on us. Well, okay, how then does a global business accommodate for these differentiations in different locations and different scenarios and come something consistently without stifling innovation, without stifling investment, without stifling capitalism and growth generally. Jesus, this got deep really quickly. Yeah. Let's pull back just for a a moment. So like, I I do want to talk about, I'm really interested that you are sort of tasked with or responsible for service now growth in, in Ireland. Something you're, you the site lead of the office there and the growth there. So like, what has that meant to you and meant for you in terms of like both your career and kind of like, you know, a desire to do something for, you know, your country. Yeah, and tell yeah, everyone what um, ServiceNow does. I'm not sure everyone will know. I I mean, obviously it's a big player, but like it's one of those Oracle-y type companies that is our Salesforce <laughs> that a lot of people don't know what they do. Uh, when you say Salesforce, am I supposed to boo from the sidelines and the hey, listen, stuff? They're having, you um, want to talk about a company having a rough couple of weeks, man. <laughs> Shit. Well, I, I, feel I mean, like, in a general I, sense, I mean, ServiceNow is a software as a service platform. We enable and facilitate digital transformation fundamentally. I mean, really, 
we provide a fundamental platform that can enable digital transformation underneath interacting with all different systems. Really, what we see is like we've, I'll quote the, if I remember, I think it's 85% the Fortune 500 we're up to. It's a B2B solution. So it allows the biggest companies around the world to digitally transform. And we started in ITX and ITSM really and evolved because people realized, hey, you can use the platform. The platform is so powerful. Massive respect to our engineers, our engineering team, our founder, Fred Luddy, who really formed this in the first instance. But it's their brilliance that effectively has meant that it can be leveraged, not just in the IT sphere, but think about employee onboarding, all the different use cases you can think of in the world, customer uh, relationship management, stuff like that. I always love um, Newton's famous line. Newton was getting an award from the British Academy of Sciences. And he was uh, getting a special medal. And he said, if I can see further than you, it's only because I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. Uh, and in many respects, where ServiceNow is today is standing on the shoulders of the, the brilliance of the engineers that created the platform and the products in the first instance. Dude, what a marketing spiel. This is good, That man. was great. Shit. Got to, got to nail that one. Over there. <laughs> CEOs over there are getting good, uh, teary eyes, man. This is good stuff. <laughs> Um, I am a big fan of ServiceNow, and I've used it in the real world at work, not at this court, not at my current role, but in previous ones. And I don't know if this is the right word, but like the inner, like the interoper, like the function, the bridging function that ServiceNow SaaS creates to connect systems is like it's borderline black box magic. And I mean that in a positive way. Like it's, yeah. it's, I'm, I'm amazed that it works um, or I was amazed and, and, and was really impressed. So anyway. Yeah. To, to me, just quickly, it it's, has MuleSoft like capabilities before MuleSoft even existed. Before that. And, ever, and yeah, additional, exactly. additionally, I've actually seen, I've actually received, I think like secure InfoSec privacy security questionnaire, you know, from another company using ServiceNow that way too. So like, in in a, many different ways, and obviously in the customer service context, and uh, lots of different ways. So, huge company doing a ton of of really cool things. Yeah, and and it's been it's been an amazing journey for me personally, Andy. I mean, I've I joined ServiceNow in twenty eighteen. I think we had about seven thousand employees globally. We had twelve employees in Ireland, and part of my my role was yeah here. Um, do, do all your legal stuff and also help us build an office and a team up in Ireland. And uh, fast forward a few years later, and we're about 450 uh, people in about four years, which is solid, significant growth in Ireland. Um, and it's meant a lot, personally. I mean, it is a rare occurrence. Despite my accent, I was born in London, but I moved to Ireland when I was seven. So all my schooling's over here. I married an Irish girl. I have three Irish kids. So I have a lot to be grateful to Ireland for. And there is a little bit sometimes of pride wrapping the tricolor, uh, as we say, around you and saying, hey, this is representing Ireland on the, the global stage, the benefits it brings to companies like ServiceNow, companies uh, across the tech center, sector, obviously, that have invested in Ireland uh, in terms of that foreign direct investment across the board. And um, it's been an amazing journey and I've loved every second of it, I have to say. And Ireland has wisely made IP tax rules such that they'll encourage investment, you know, in 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 that way. So it's been interesting. Hey, as we were just talking about, you've got to play the cards that you've got in relation to it. So um, I can go back to T.K. Whitaker in the 50s and the creation of the Irish Development Agency and selling economic policy back in the 1950s to say, hey, what do we have that's a leverage and an advantage and what do we not have? 
and how are we going to stand up on the global scale overall? Um, when so, you travel, when you travel for work uh, and you go around to headquarters or other other places, how often do you get the stupid questions about like Guinness? You know, like, do you like Guinness or do you like, how often does, do, you have, to, man. do you have to answer that question? Um, to be honest, I don't get that too much in service. Now, most of, most of the guys, they're pretty worldly and pretty yeah. sensible. So yeah. I don't get that. Um, I do find it funny when people come over to Dublin to visit and they'll do things in the, t- you know, with the team. Then we'll go to a pub and they'll kind of go like, oh, I'll have a Guinness. And I was like, yeah, I'll have a lager. Thanks. And they're like, you don't drink Guinness every second day? I said, no, no, I really don't. Like, I might have a pint every now and then, but um, hey, it's Ireland's most successful export, you'd say. So, yeah. I spent the summer. Is Guinness in Ireland's top export, is it? I, I'm no. I mean, I'm probably saying the greatest scheme and most recognizable export. I would say <laughs> greatest export, Pedro, are the people. That's yeah. what it's great. <laughs> oh boy, here we go. I spent the summer. So I spent a summer in Dublin. I took two classes in law school. Uh, at UCD. And I you only took s- two classes in law school. Man, two classes lot, in the summer. <laughs> and explains so I got much. so, so sick of Guinness. Like, you can't have Guinness every time you go. First of all, you're going out a lot. And secondly, you can't have Guinness every time you go out. It's too heavy. It's good. It's just too heavy. It's too much. Um, that I is, think that Guinness is, is a light beer. Does that make me weird? I haven't, I don't drink beer anymore. It's been a long time because I have the gluten allergy. But like, um, I don't think Guinness is that heavy. It, it is. Dark it is you've, got, you've got a medical excuse for not drinking beer. I mean, it's not a allowed? Bud Light, okay? I mean, it's not a Bud Light. But <laughs> I would, I, 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 so, Mark, I would question you if we were out in a in a pub and you said, I'll have a lager, but it was a Bud Light. I would I would question you. Like, <laughs> why, why? <laughs> I, don't, I don't consider Bud Light alcohol okay. or lager in any way. <laughs> Good. Being honest. Although Andy, uh, if you need two two classes in UCD, maybe you can come over Ireland next time and go to a proper university. All well. right, be- <laughs> right, yeah. exactly. Uh, <laughs> sorry, local rivalries there. Local rivalries. So, so you so you've you've grown the team to like four hundred, I guess. So what 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 has that like taught you in terms of team dynamics and team being a teammate, team leadership? You know, must have learned some lessons through that kind of growth. Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, I could bore you for a long time. I mean, the one thing I'll say is obviously that's made up of about 30 different teams, uh, in terms of 30 different functions and organizations. So it's not, it's not me. It's not any of the the VPs who are based in Ireland. It's the combination. And yeah, there's some gentle cajoling sometimes of people to base their teams over here, or, you know, we're building a, a hub and, you know, it would be great, uh, for you to kind of, build your European unit around Dublin or around Ireland generally, because we have a number of people obviously with the pandemic and before working remotely. So it's very much across Ireland uh, capability. Um, But it's that combination. It's really all coming together in the goal. You know, you learn more. And I always reflect on this. I mean, if you asked me 10 years ago, what makes a great team? What makes a great leader? I'd have given you a stupid ass question. If I get you to even ask me five years ago, I probably would look back now with, you know, lament at what I would say. You're always learning. And I think that's the key thing. Is that I'm a better leader this year than I was last year. I'm definitely far better than I was when I started in service now and far better than I was when I started in law. 
And I think that's the key that I will continue to learn and take from this is if I was doing it again, I'd do certain things differently. I'd do certain things better and, you know, just continue to grow, continue to learn, continue to listen and look for the opportunities to be better. Um, Tell us what one of those things is that you would do differently. Um, I wouldn't take people to the pub and order lager. That's what. <laughs> for some for some Bud Lights. <laughs> and do you like do you like so what what is like so what is a mistake or something that you kind of look back on and you're like oh, I wish I'd you know gone a different route. Yeah, I think a mistake uh, sometimes is in terms of collaboration. Like, how many people have you brought on the journey? How many people do you know? how much do you take as read that people understand where you're going to? And this applies to your, your own team or a wider team or even anything cross-functionally. There are times sometimes you have to reiterate, this is what we're doing. This is the goal. These are the core messages. And then again, this is what we're doing. This is the goal. These are the core messages. Because people forget and sometimes keeping people on track and making sure everyone is hearing that and really feeling that is important. Uh, and there's definitely been times I've been clear and know where I want to get us to, what we're leading towards, you know, on a particular project, on a particular aspect, or even uh, in the wider scheme of things with Ireland. And then I've suddenly realized, yeah, not everyone is with me on this, or I haven't spent long enough bringing everybody up to speed as to why and what we're doing. So, you know, you don't realize, I mean, people have their own minds and they kind of go, oh, he must be doing this because of this reason, or he must be doing this because of that reason. And it's like, no, hang on, let me sit down with you, reiterate that. And uh, I think that communication is key. I've, You know, it's always been key, but it's always just not recognizing, hey, there are times and there are moments you can do better and you can never take it for granted. It's a very common. <laughs> Communicate, it always comes down to communication often. And, Strange that. Yeah, it? oddly. <laughs> well, um, what... This is an 80s-themed uh, podcast. And yes. So uh, what's your favorite 80s movie or show? Are Top we back Gun. to the 80s theme? Is that, are we really back to that? What a throwback, Andy. Ah, well, we, you know, we're, we are three. We, not, we don't always have 80s people on here that are actually alive <laughs> in the 80s. So you have three people that were actually alive in the 80s. So I wanted to ask him. Top Gun is a, a great long choice. a time since we brought up the old 80s theme. I love how loosely yeah. our podcast oh, yeah. has themes. In and out. <laughs> it's it's kind of over here. <laughs> But yeah, Top Gun, I mean, there's so many. The 80s were great, yeah. Andy. The 80s were great. The music was great. The films were great. You know, there's so much cool stuff from the 80s. Even early 90s, you sometimes claim it as 80s as well. I think you have to, especially in music. Yeah. Did you guys I see mean, how the new that, Top Gun movie crushed? Did you see that? Like it crushed, man. It's like $700 million box office. 60-year-old Tom Cruise flying around in F-14 Tomcats is still somehow interesting. Like, I'm a big fan, man. I think worldwide it did, I think worldwide it did something like 1.2, 1.3 billion. Is that so what it kind did? of, it, it regenerated the cinemas, basically. It was the first big blockbuster back in the cinemas post-COVID. And he wow. held it for two years. Like, they, yeah. they, they had it wrapped in 2020 or something like that. And it was like, yeah, no, yeah. has to be in cinema, has to be in cinema. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was cool. That was a great... Taste of nostalgia, I would say, done right. Um, it was a fun movie. It's it's the one movie I saw in the theaters last year that I I don't think that's I think that's the only one. So they got my twenty two bucks. It's twenty two bucks. I think that's what it was. It was like twenty two bucks, something like that. 
Yeah. <laughs> what do you do? So speak like, of eighties, 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 eighties or nineties? I guess because for me it would be the nineties. What's the first movie you saw in the theater? This is an important oh, question. It's an oh, important I, question. You know what? Oh, good question. I think actually I'll, t- I'll give you two. I'll give you my first song because I remember buying it in Woolworths was Rick Ashley, Never Gonna Give You Up. <laughs> I, I literally Rick rolled myself when I was a kid. And I still, I, I bought it on cassette. I remember it vividly. My mom gave me, I have pocket money and I got that. And the first movie, I'm sure I saw another movie before it, but the one that sticks out is actually early 90s, is uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. So I'm sure I went some kiddie stuff. But that's the first movie movies. Robin Hood, Kit, Prince of Thieves, Brian Adams, Everything I Do, I Do For You, Kevin Costner. Oh, in good movie. The best, best part of his um, career, I would say. Dances that's a great with movie. Wolves, Robin Hood, he was flying. Um, Pedro, what's yours? Well, I just come to the United States, and it was actually a few years after it got released. It's one of my earliest childhood memories. And so it would have been like 1984, 80, yeah, 84-ish. Um, I saw E.T. in a local movie theater with my mom and my stepdad. And it was like my parents like first date that included me because my my stepfather came out. I was born, obviously. And so um, and we went to go see E.T. in one of those like, you know, dollar movie theaters. You know, the movie had been out, I guess, for like two years by then. Um, But I remember seeing E.T. in the movies. I remember there being an intermission, (laughs) which was insane. I I remember this. Um, and, uh, we got all dressed up and, and went to see E.T., man, for like a buck. <laughs> remember the dollar movie theaters? Yeah. You remember these things? Yeah, yeah. It was a dollar movie theater. Mine was, uh, Return of the Jedi. I don't know if it was the, nice. like you, Mark. I don't remember if it was my first or, cause that probably wasn't the first movie my parents took me to, but I remember being scared shitless when he took off the helmet, you know, <laughs> just <laughs> <laughs> scared out of my mind. What's under there? <laughs> uh, uh, all right. Well, let's 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 wrap on Darth Vader. You know. All right. Yeah, it's not a bad place to end. Um, <laughs> we all need to get together at IEPP and get these, um, these Guinnesses in for you guys. I'll have some uh some Jameson Irish whiskey. I'll be fine. Well, I'm gonna be shocked if Mark doesn't have a Guinness. <laughs> I'll be yeah. surprised. I'll, I'll definitely have Jamie. That's no question. <laughs> Yeah, I, that's that's Uncle Jamie been getting me through the things. <laughs> I, sound, I, sound, I sound like a raging alcoholic. Uncle Jamie. Like, Uncle Jamie been getting me through. Man, when I was in, uh, it doesn't matter. Yeah, uh, I, I have a long relationship <laughs> with Uncle Jamie. <laughs> a long relationship. Uh, a long, fruitful, healthy, positive relationship. More of a celebratory occasion, not a dwelling in my sorrow situation. Perfect. But for a long time, Jameson was the only whiskey I could afford, man. It's good quality, cheap whiskey. It's hard to beat. All right, Mark. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Thank Later. you, guys. Pleasure joining you. Thanks very much. <laughs>